Welcome to Waterbrook Church, located in Victoria, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us today as we continue the series, Gospel Friendships. This Sunday, the message was entitled, How Rejoicing in the Lord Keeps Us Safe from Religion and Self-Righteousness. One of the great dangers in our lives as Christians is that we can be tempted into thinking that following Christ is simply following rules. We can be tempted to think that there are certain religious activities that mark us as mature. We feel better about where we are spiritually when we can check off the list of Christian activities as being accomplished in our lives. We start thinking that we are doing okay with God because we don't have the same struggles that others do. This can lead us to deadly sins like religious pride and it can bring toxicity into the church body when people possess a critical spirit and bring false division between Christians. When we struggle more with the faults of other believers than with our own, we can be like the Pharisee in Luke 18 who says, I thank you that I am not like other men. We put more emphasis on their sins instead of our own. Being a disciple of Christ is not about checking off lists and comparing ourselves with others. Being a Christian is all about following Christ, trusting Christ, looking to Christ, and seeking Christ. Discipleship is making Christ the desire and delight of your life. Let's pray for a mighty work of God as we begin to study the third chapter of Philippians. Let's worship together. Well, isn't it sweet to witness people being baptized and putting their faith in Jesus Christ and following him? And so we're really grateful for that. And I'm going to ask you to take your Bible and turn to the book of Philippians chapter 3. And can I encourage you just over the next little while, read through Philippians 3. Read it several times. Pray through it because this is really one of the pinnacle statements of the Apostle Paul um, in his, all of his epistles. And I know that Romans is a theologically rich and he states his mission and his convictions in Romans. But in Philippians chapter 3, we really get a sense of Paul's guiding passion and purpose in his life. What, what makes Paul tick? What changed in his life? Because you remember, he was highly educated. He was educated amongst his peers by kind of the elite rabbis in Israel at the time. And uh, he was known to be the, the, the up-and-comer. And, uh, and then he says in Philippians 3, a little later, he says, I consider everything rubbish. And the language he uses there is really strong. Um, he says, I consider everything manure. That's what he says. Compared to the surpassing greatness, the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ. And so when he encountered Jesus and he grew to understand that all of the Bible was bringing the people of God to set their eyes on one individual, the promised Messiah who would deliver people. When Christ came and the lights went on for Paul, everything paled in comparison. Everything shifted in his priorities and his life. And so as Paul writes in Philippians chapter 3, of this radical shift in his life, I want you to ask, has this radical shift happened in my life? Have I been able to esteem Jesus the way that Paul esteems Jesus? Do I look at Christ the way that Paul looks at Christ? 
And I say that because we're just going to look at the first few verses in Philippians chapter 3, and I want you to have that in mind because Paul says to these believers, I'm going to say this to you. He's already said it, and he's going to say it again in chapter 4. He's going to say what? Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. And I feel like sometimes as Christians there's phrases that familiarity breeds contempt. Now, we don't mean to be contemptuous of it. We just don't think about what the words mean. We don't realize what Paul's doing here. And what Paul's doing in Philippians, in this section of Scripture, is he's talking to some Christians who are struggling. Now, he's in prison. Isn't that remarkable? He's in prison, and he's writing to encourage them. Have you ever had somebody do that? You ever gone to a hospital, and you visit somebody, and you walk out and think, I'm not sure if... I was there for them or they were there for me. Paul's in prison and he's writing him a letter and he's saying, you guys rejoice in the Lord. The joy is coming from inside prison now. And, you know, sometimes when we get in the routines of life, we can find ourselves easily preoccupied with lesser things, right? Isn't it amazing how lesser things become big things and, we, and the big things become little things? And there's nothing greater than the gospel. <laughs> there's nothing more important than eternity in your soul. And yet we get wrapped up in COVID and we get wrapped up in, in finances. We get wrapped up in the stock market. We get wrapped up in the manu- We get wrapped up in getting the yard ready for the fall, right? Isn't it amazing? You look at your schedule and go, what is my priority set here? And Paul writes them and says, when your priorities get out of whack, when your value system is crooked, then all kinds of things go wrong. One of the things that can happen is that you can begin to be religious as a means to feel better about your relationship with God. Right? Isn't it possible that we just kind of try to check off a few things? So I get baptized, check. I read my Bible this week, check. I went to Waterbrook, check. Right? I did all these things, check, 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 and we try to start checking off things in our lives to make ourselves feel better. You know one of the dangers of that is? We start looking at our list, and we start looking at other people's list. Are are there bees here, you guys? Why don't you guys just, (laughs) yeah, buddy, why don't you guys, I'm going to encourage you to move. Yeah, (laughs) I'm the one who's allergic to bees right now, just so you know, i I carry my EpiPen with me as he, sorry, sorry, buddy. I'm not sure what's here, but something's drawn the bees right here, so I'm going to stand over here. (laughs) My wife, uh, where Mary Ann's over there, Kevin, you move. She's also thinking put a hat on, but I I don't feel like wearing my hat today, so. But, you know, one of the things that happens, you guys, so I, I shouldn't be, you guys can do what you want to do. I just feel, <laughs> I, I, all of a sudden I feel like I'm pretty bossy up here. You guys should move. Okay, forget it. You can do whatever you want to do, Jay. <laughs> um, but, you know, um, one of the things that can start to happen when you do that, that I'm going to check the list off of my religiosity in order to feel better about myself, is we start comparing lists. And suddenly we realize in our lives that when we're looking at the people around us, we get annoyed at other people's sins more than we get annoyed at our sins. You know, we look at what's going on with other people and we go, man, what's the matter with those people? 
Why don't they take God more seriously? And suddenly we've got this long list, checklist of religious things and religious duties that we use to feel better about ourselves. You know the danger of that is? Either you become incredibly self-righteous or, secondly, you become incredibly despondent because there is no comfort and there's no lasting joy by your religious performance. You, the more you read your Bible, the more you get to know God, will discover you need a Savior. I'll tell you this. The people who got baptized today needed a Savior. So do I. So do you. And you need that Savior this week, not just 10 years ago. The more you get to know God, the more you get to know Jesus, the more you will realize, see, you are finite. God is infinite. You're finite. God is infinite. When a finite person begins to grow in the knowledge of the infinite, you discover how good, how loving, how gracious, how holy God is. And the more you get to know God, the more you will realize, I don't match up. The standard of God's perfections just reveal to me. So let me just ask you a couple of thoughtful questions this week, basic questions. Any of you been angry this week? I'm not asking for hands to be raised. I'm not asking for you to lean over and point at the person beside you. Anybody been impatient? Anybody anybody been covetous, envious, jealous? Anybody been critical, self-righteous, looking over your shoulders going, what's the matter with so-and-so? How come they don't behave the way I think? Any of that there? The more you and I do this, we realize that every, you know why we have worship every Sunday? Because Jesus has ordained that we get together so he can come and reveal his grace and glory. He's reminding each other, Jesus has paid for our sins. So here's, here's what rejoice in the Lord means. Rejoice that the Lord is for you and with you through this whole process. Rejoice in the Lord and your righteousness. Rejoice in his work and not your work. Rejoice that he will be with you if you trust in him to the very end. Aren't you glad that you have Jesus to trust in? Do not find your joy in your churchianity. Find your joy in Jesus. Do not find your joy in comparing yourself with the people down the pew and the people down the road. Get your joy from the fact that Jesus absolutely is for you, unequivocally is with you, unyieldingly committed to you, even though you in your best moments are stained with sin and struggle. One day he's going to come back and make us all new, but till then we need to what? Rejoice. Where? In the Lord. So let's read this text and I'm going to make a couple of comments. I really want to direct my comments to those being baptized today because I want to say to those being baptized today, it, you're, you're, it's great to see you. You're going to have a struggle. <laughs> it's going to be challenging from here on in, not because it wasn't before, but because this is the starting point. This is the starting line, and there's going to be challenges for you along the way, and this is great news. So Philippians chapter 3, verse 1, finally, my brothers. Now, I take consolation in this, and I'm going to try to move quickly, but Paul says finally, and he's going to write two more chapters. That's kind of like me. So I'll say finally. I'm just about finished. Finally. Just a couple more chapters. No. Uh, But he says, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is 
no trouble to me, and, listen to this, is what? Safe for you. Now, he'll say in chapter 4, rejoice in the Lord, and again I say, rejoice. He says, I'll say it a thousand times. I'll say it a thousand times. That's no trouble for me to say rejoice in the Lord, and it's safe for you. Now listen to what he also says. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. That may, if you haven't read your Bible in a while, and that may sound strange to you, when he says we are the circumcision, he's revealing that the sign of being Jewish was that they circumcised their sons on the eighth day. What was happening was that people began to talk about their loyalty to the Sabbath day, to food laws, to religious ceremonies, and they began to revert back to checking off the things that they had done in, in keeping with the law. And what Paul says to these believers as he writes to them is that what makes you truly a child of God is not what you've done for God, but what God's done for you. What makes you secure in God is not your adherence to a whole list of things. What makes you secure in God is what Christ has finished for you. And so let me just walk through the text and say there are three reasons here why we need to say to one another, rejoice in the Lord. I'm going to pause here and just say this. When was the last time you said to somebody, rejoice in the Lord? And when did you say it? Now, what we don't mean here is that when somebody's having a real bad day, that you come up like happy-go-lucky Christian and go, well, rejoice in the Lord, right? Put on a smiley face. This is not milk toast Christianity. This is what you say to someone who walks in and says, I, I feel like I've been the worst husband I could be. Where someone walks in and says, if you're doing checklist Christianity, put a capital F, F-A-L-E. Oh, sorry, F. Oh, sorry, thank you. That's a family joke. I've always said that to my kids. My kids do something wrong, I go, F-A-L-E, fail. <laughs> but you know what? This is, you say rejoice in the Lord when people are struggling. You say rejoice in the Lord when people are coming up and they're saying, I'm discovering that I don't have what it takes to be who God has called you to be. Can I tell you something, those of you who have been baptized? You don't have what it takes, but you have Jesus. And Jesus has what it takes. So, so here's three reasons why Christians need to know how to say rejoice in the Lord at exactly the right time. Number one, it keeps you safe. It keeps you safe. The word in the Greek here, asphalo, asphalos, in the Greek is, in, I think, in English, it's, it translates asphalt. Because it's the negative A at the beginning, which always means not. And the word swallow means to totter. So we use the word asphalt because asphalt is supposed to be solid ground. Right? So we put solid ground. By saying rejoice in the Lord, it keeps you safe. We're putting asphalt under people's feet when they're tottering. We're getting them stable when they're struggling. 
We say rejoice in the Lord when we feel like we're when when we feel like the ship is sinking. Rejoice in the Lord. Why? We're going to talk about that in a second. But one of the things we're trying to say to one another is that that the greatest news in the world is that your salvation is not dependent on your religious performance. It's, it's, a, it's dependent on a Jesus who will never leave you nor forsake you. I memorized early in my faith, I memorized Romans chapter 8, verse 32, right? If God did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not along with him freely give us all things? Jesus died. Paul says it in Romans 5. God demonstrated his love for us while we were what? Did God love us while we had it together? After we'd gone to church a thousand times? God loved us while we were yet sinners. And he says, God demonstrated his love towards us while we were yet sinners and that Christ died for us, right? And then he said, if God loved us while we were yet sinners, how much more now that we're, we're justified? So I'll say this to you, Shane, forgiven by Christ? Right? He loved you while you were sinning. He loved you while you were sinning. He, he loved you in the middle of your struggles. He loved you enough to pursue you. So guess what? If he loved you while you were struggling, will he love you now that he's cleansed you through his blood? That's the great news of the gospel. Rejoice in the, in the Lord. That's the great news of the gospel. Rejoice in the Lord. He's for you. He's for you before you were for him. God, okay, in, this is love, not that... We loved God, but that he loved us. So here's, here's, the, here's, the, here's the great news for us, that, that it's safe for us because one of the temptations, I, I just want to tell you, every one of us has built into us a propensity to be religious. Every one of us. That's why we have to say rejoice in the Lord. All of us, wanna, want, we want some religious formula that we can check in so when we put our head on the pillow at the end of the day, we feel better. How do we know that every one of us has a propensity to be religious? Because if you look at the global population, religion is increasing. And if you look at all the religions of the world, Virtually every religion in the world, except for Christianity, says, if you do this, then it will go better for you, right? If you adhere to the Koran, it'll go better for you. In Buddhism, you got to get to nirvana. If you get to that place of nirvana and peace, it'll go better for you. You go into Myanmar, right, and you go where we're praying today. You go there. What is religion? Religion teaches you if you do this, 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 and this, God will do this, this. It's a quid pro quo. We do something for God, God does something for us. Isn't that the way most people, don't we do that? How, have you ever negotiated with God? God, if you just do this for me, uh, you know, you, if I do this for you, will you rescue me? Will you rescue my family? Will you give me my career back? Will you give me my health back? We're great negotiators. I just got to say this, friends, all of us have a propensity to that. That will not go away. I want to tell you, in this world, with our old self and the enemy lying in our ear, we will be continually tempted to go back to negotiating with God. And what we've got to do is come back and say to each other, don't go back to negotiating with God. The negotiations are over. Jesus has paid the price for all our sins, 
and God is satisfied. So that's the first reason we have to do that. Secondly, this is really important, especially for young Christians. You have to be discerning because you will encounter religious people who will try to make you religious. So look at, look at verse 2 here. He uses language, again, that sounds really strong to us. But he says there, look out for the dogs, look out for the evil evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Three times he says, look out, look out, look out. When Paul does that, he's a really intelligent writer. He's not being, um, he's not being uh, accidental. He's just not rambling. The Greek word is blepo. He goes, blepo, blepo, blepo. If you hear it in the Greek... When Paul speaks here, it would hit you like punches. Look out. Look out. Look out. And he uses language. He actually flips language. Because from Paul's Jewish background, who are the dogs? He says, watch out for the dogs, the Gentiles. You know why? I mean, there's, a, there's an awkward conversation one time. Jesus is talking to a woman. And if you've read this section of Scripture, you go, Jesus, that sounds a little harsh. Because this woman comes and asks Jesus if she would, he would heal her daughter. And Jesus said, it's not good to give the children's bread to dogs. Now, we have our language, dogs, in our culture. But in their culture, that was strong language. And the woman says to Jesus, well, the dogs get the crumbs from the children at the table. Any of you kids ever got rid of something you didn't want by feeding the dog? Right? She, she, she does that. You know, she says that even the... Even the dogs get the crumbs from the table, and Jesus says, what amazing faith you have, and he heals her daughter. Why does he use that language? Why does he say dogs? Because dogs in their culture spoke to those who would not honor, would not treat with dignity, would, would not respond properly to God and his word. You don't give, you know, as, have any of you given a piece of steak to your hound dog? Have you ever seen how that dog takes that piece of steak, smells it, and says, thank you? And then the dog just savors it for a second. Man, this is such good steak. You ever notice how the dog takes it, puts a little bit away for his lunch tomorrow? You ever see a dog? You know what does a dog do? He wolfs that thing up like it was puppy chow or, you know, you, you can throw anything at a dog. Here's the worst thing. The dog will throw it up and come back and eat it later. There. That's, I always like to have a good illustration right around lunch. Why do they use language dogs? Because dogs don't honor what is precious and valuable. They have no sense of worth. Jesus says, watch out for those who will undermine the precious worth of Jesus by trying to get you to be your own savior. Watch out for those dogs who come along and tell you that your righteousness is more important than his righteousness. Somebody comes along and says it's religious performance. We need to say one another, rejoice in the Lord. Not rejoice in religion. Rejoice in what Christ has done. He says, watch out not only for the dogs, but the evildoers. Who are the evildoers in the Bible in their culture? They were people that tried to draw you away from God, had no respect for the things of God. You know who the evildoers are now? In this text, they're the people who draw you away from Jesus. And they don't draw you away. In, in their culture, they, you know, evildoers were those who draw, drew you to idols. To worship false gods. Gods like Moloch. In the Old Testament, they sacrificed babies at the time of Solomon. Their children on fire to God. And, and, and it was horrific. And Solomon married someone who did that. 
It's just horrific. And what's said in this text of Scripture is those are the evildoers. You know who the evildoers are now? The worst evil you can ever do is to tell somebody to trust in themselves. It's a cruel thing to say to somebody, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. You can't pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. And you shouldn't pull yourself up by your own bootstraps because you have Jesus. And then he says, beware of the mutilators of the flesh. And he's playing on circumcision. But what he's actually saying there is, instead of being a good doctor who takes care of you properly, the mutilators of the flesh are those who do you harm when they say they're doing you good. They're marking you out. The mutilators of flesh here are the people who say, you can do it. How many churches do you go to, do you hear, where the message every week is, you can do it. You can be David. You can be Solomon. You can be a hero. My dear friends, you can't do it without Jesus. Jesus said, abide in me. Apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. Nothing. Say it again. You can do Nothing. Paul says in the end of Philippians, I can do all things through who? Christ who strengthens me. So here's the good news today. You can't do it. Feel better? All you baptized people, you can't do it. But Christ can do it in you. That's the good news. So we need to be aware. This sharpens you when you start to hear false teaching. False teaching is any teaching that points you to self and your strength rather than Christ as your Savior. And finally, look at verse 3. The other reason we need to say this is so that we might have assurance. He says, we are the circumcision. By that, that was the sign that you were Israelite. The real circumcision, the real children of God, are not those who check the list, who do all the right things. Who are the real circumcision? This is what he says. The real children of God, the sign you're a real child of God is you do three things. Notice what he says in the first part of it, verse 3. Who worship by how? The Spirit of God. What he says, worship isn't just what we're doing today. Worship is life. Every day is to be lived for the glory of God. Every moment is for Jesus. What we say, how we work, what we do with our kids, um, how we treat our neighbors, right? Love the Lord your God with all your strength, all your soul, all your might, and love your neighbor as yourself. How you live every day is how you worship. We don't worship by the strength of Kevin Dibley. We worship by what? The Spirit of God. And so every day, Monday morning, you get up, and what do you say? You go, rejoice in the Lord, because I never have to do today in my own strength. That the Spirit of God, Jesus, when he was ascended to heaven, can give you the strength to do. So any of you being baptized, you can get up tomorrow morning. You don't say, rejoice, I've got new strength, new determination. You say, I rejoice in this, that Christ died, he's ascended, seated at the right hand, and now by the power of his Spirit, he enables me to want to do what I would never want to do. He enables me to seek what I would never seek and love what I would never love. Is that good news? Because you know what? The bottom line is I get up grouchy sometimes on Monday. Sometimes I preach really bad sermons, as you know. And then my wife times, because I sigh. And, you know, sometimes she'll hear me sigh at 2 in the afternoon on Sunday. She says, it's only 2. You didn't even make 5. 
You just sigh because you know what? I, I don't do it right. I don't love the way I ought to love. I don't know what I ought to do. If it's all on me, friends, forget it. But I get up Monday, I get up Tuesday, I get up Wednesday, I get up Thursday, and I have one hope, that the Spirit of God never sleeps or slumbers, that God never forsakes us, that He is never tired. (laughs) Those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. Where young men fall and faint and many grow weary, those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. Aren't you glad for that? So that's one thing, to give us assurance. You know, the real circumcision, the real people of God are those who trust in the Spirit who live and worship by the Spirit, and who glory in who? In the verse. They glory in Christ. Do you know what it means? you know what the word glory means? The incomparable greatness of something. It carries the, we- the word weightiness. Here's the good news, that if you're a Christian, you throw all your weight, all your worth, all your value. The substance of your life is not the accomplishments of your life. The story of your life is not what you did in baptism. It's not my preaching. It's not my efforts. It's not my parenting. The substance of my life is this. Jesus died for me and rose from the dead. And I want to tell you that he changed my life and he's never left me from the day I gave my life to him. In fact, he loved me before I ever knew him. Isn't that that what we glory in? Christ is enough for me. Christ is enough for me. So the real, we we glory in his death. He died for me. We glory in his life. He lived an obedient life for me. We glory in his resurrection. He triumphed over my sin. That's why we're baptized and come out of the water. It's not my life, it's his life. We glory in his ascension. He now sits at the right hand and I'm seated with him in glory. My life is hid with him. I'm kept with him. And he is interceding for me at the right hand of the Father in his session right now. Right now Jesus is for me. It's stunning to me. I don't have anything to tell you except for Jesus is worthy. He's worth it. He's everything. He's all, all, all. We only have Jesus. And that's enough. In the last verse there is we not only glory in Jesus, but we put no confidence in the flesh. So this is what Christians do. <laughs> God forbid anybody gets up here and tells you the secret of their success. God forbid you get anybody who comes and says, yeah, I was 25 and going down the wrong path, and then I just turned myself around. The only thing that happens when I turn myself around is I get dizzy. Right? Or you get lost. Right? I've been turned around in the way. Yeah, I've done that too. What we do is we put no confidence in the flesh. I have no confidence. Jordan, I want to tell you this. I have no confidence in you. Right? Curtis, where are you? Curtis, I love you. I have no confidence in you. Shane, absolutely no confidence in you. Let's close and pray. No. (laughs) I have no confidence in you because I don't have any confidence in me. The greatest fear for me is God, out of his infinite wisdom, decided to make Dibley a pastor. That's the scariest thing on the planet except for one thing. He will never leave me nor forsake me. Christ is enough. Is that good news? So hear me, folks. Rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say it. Rejoice in the Lord. Can you look to the right and left? Just turn.
Just turn and say it out loud. Say it to somebody near you. Rejoice in the Lord. When you, when you leave today, what's the one thing I want you to say to each other on the way home? Rejoice in the Lord. When you're complaining in the car, that was a long sermon and the bees were buzzing. Rejoice in the Lord and pray for the bees to die. No, no we don't want to do that. I, I love bees. I just don't like when they sting. That's why I have to carry this. Okay, friends, let's pray. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. It's been a good morning. Let's, let's pray that we'd put all our hope in Jesus. And so, Heavenly Father, as we come to the end of this service, we just thank you that we can trust in Jesus. It's not easy to worship. Sometimes we're stung by bees and our bald heads are burnt. But you are, you're worth it. And you're worthy. There's not one person here who can live the life that we're called to live in the strength that comes from our flesh. We have no confidence in the flesh, but boy, we have great confidence, God, in your Son, who, who you did not spare, but you delivered him up for us all. How will you not, along with Jesus, give us everything we need? How will you, if you didn't spare your Son? Thank you. So I pray for Shane. I pray for Curtis. I pray for Jordan. Bless them. Bless them, Father. Let them see. The joy of the Lord is their strength. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you were able to seek, savor, and share the all-surpassing worth of Jesus Christ. If you'd like to find out more about our church, submit a prayer request, watch previous sermons, go to www.waterbrook.church. Have a blessed week.